Welcome to Ivan's DC Update podcast version. After a little interlude that was a result of COVID, etc., 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 we're back. Today we have two very exciting guests, my partner Lillian Hardy and Matt Miller. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and give a little bit of background on their career so we get to know them. But the topic today is how do we manage a crisis in a crisis? So obviously things have changed in all of our daily lives and the way newspapers work. And obviously there's a lot that is driving narratives around the country that make it really exciting to be in the space that these two guests are in. So why don't we start with you, Lillian? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, so we can get to know you. Great, Ivan, thanks for having me. And I really wish we saw each other every day, but here's the best that we got. Thank you for having me. I am Lillian Hardy, a partner with Ivan at the law firm of Hogan Lovells in the Washington office. I practice in investigations, white collar and fraud, which over the years has created a direct nexus to crisis. I'm the one that people call when things are hitting the proverbial fan And the goal is usually to address the legal risks and to respond before things get out of control and before there's reputational harm. Thanks for having me. Over to you, Matt. My name is Matt Miller. I'm a partner in the Washington office of Villanova, which is a boutique public affairs firm uh, where I focus uh, primarily on crisis management. My background before joining this firm was in politics, doing communications for uh, members of Congress and on campaigns. I think quite notably with Ivan for a couple of years where we um, managed, I would say, a a daunting series of of crises for a a member of Congress. And I think my most applicable part of my practice, uh, the last job I did in government was as the head of public affairs for the Justice Department, which has lent itself in private practice to doing a lot of work around legal and regulatory investigations and the crises that that come along with those. Great. So terrific. So obviously you're both well qualified for the job. So let's just dive into it. So, you know, things are obviously unpredictable from day to day. You wake up in the morning knowing that there's going to be at least four crises out there in the world and you've got a crisis of your own. How has this changed things for you? Start with you, Matt. I mean, the simplest is just the thing that's affecting every piece of business, which is that you're not able to actually get in a room and figure out a problem with people. You're doing everything remote. And that matters a lot in a crisis because there are a lot of rules which you try to apply to a crisis. One of the first ones is to try to get as clear a scope of of the problem as you can. And often the best way to do that is to get all the people from the affected entity, the company or the association or whatever it is, um, the outside counsel, the crisis experts on the PR side, get them together and try to dive in and figure out what the problem is. And you want to establish clear lines of communication so you know when a problem is happening, the press people are telling you what kind of incoming requests you're getting from the media. You have lawyers sitting there that can tell you how that might implicate an investigation. And not having everyone in the same room is a real challenge. You can you know, obviously overcome some of that the way we're doing this podcast where you've got everyone on by video and the way we're overcoming every other challenge. But it does create, it does add a communications barrier to it and a lag time, which is a problem because a lag in responding can be the thing that hurts you almost more than anything when you're in the middle of trying to communicate in a crisis. Lillian, your thoughts? You know, Matt's right. The other thing that can become a challenge in the quarantine context 
is getting towards the truth. Um, There could be factual gaps that come about by not being able to access all the witnesses. You could have people who are less willing or less able to deliver confidential information to you in the quarantine context because they feel that they don't know how to access uh, sort of the neutral parties such as outside counsel or crisis communicators. And sometimes, you know, the decision to go to your boss and fall on your sword could be something that you could, you know, do through a confidential process that's harder to do in quarantine. Another thing I think is particularly challenging is the fact that things can go viral more quickly. We're all captive audiences uh, sitting in our basements and on our back porches, and we have a lot of time to consume news and social media and other information, even just emails and texts from others who are sort of chit-chatting more than they might be if they're going to work and commuting and handling other things that normally occur in daily life. So for for people like us, it means that we have to drive towards the answers more quickly and we have to ascertain the facts in more creative ways. So picking up on on the viral comments that you made, Lillian, and and going over to you, Matt. So given that we're all captive and we're all following the news, but there's so much news, right? So is it hard to really get a, a sense from a communications perspective as to how big the actual problem is, given, you know, the inability to measure anything these days? Yeah, that's right. I think it's a heightened feature of a phenomenon that has really become true in the last few years, which is that crisis fires often will burn hotter, uh, but burn themselves out more quickly than they used to because they can just take off on social media, spill into to traditional media. Um, and burn extremely hot. And in that first 24 or 48 hours, it can feel if you're in the middle of the crisis, like there's nothing else going on in the world. And to you, there isn't. But the other side of that coin is they burn out quickly because another crisis comes along to capture the public's mind and knock you off the front page or off the trending topics on, on Twitter. And so I think that the challenge uh, always when talking to clients about a crisis is to focus on what matters. And It may be for any particular client that what matters is the media conversation, but it's not always. Sometimes you can look at a media conversation and realize that as painful as it is, it doesn't really affect the company's bottom line and it's not going to affect the company's reputation in a a longstanding, meaningful way. Um, So you try to focus on, well, what is this going to mean for our customers? Is it going to produce a boycott? Uh, I've been on video calls all morning dealing with a situation that might spill over to a boycott. Or is it going to impact with a regulator, a situation with regulators? Is it going to produce an investigation? Is it going to produce something that has a longer tail than just the hot media flame that might burn out in the next day or two or sometimes in the next hour or two? So a lot of times in my career, I've seen how these media narratives actually drive a potential investigation, right? So you, the, the, a reporter knows a piece of information that you know regulators or folks at the Department of Justice or AG or prosecutor, you know, hasn't looked at, and it sparks an interest, right? You you get a sense that somebody comes into somebody's office and says, "Hey." How come we haven't looked at this, right? And, and you know, naturally, I always think that at least there used to be a sense of how long you had, you know, to prepare, you know, for something actually, uh, you know, actually, you know, penning out from, from the media. So, Lillian, you know, is there a change in the timing? Is there a t- you know, change in the approach, giving that all regulators and prosecutors and everybody, they're, they're in the same business we are, right? They're on Zoom figuring this out. 
That's right, Ivan. And interestingly, if you're at the FTC, for example, the agency that protects consumers, you're not even going back to work until uh, June 2021, I think it is. So there are some changes in timing in terms of when a regulator uh, catches wind of a whistleblower complaint and or a media expose or the like, and when an actual investigation can commence. On the other hand, we have some people in government, particularly political uh, appointees that consume a lot of news and give a lot of credence to what the media is interested in at the moment. So you will see that on certain topics, I have clients who say, a tweet went out about X, uh, and therefore I need to begin focusing on an internal investigation on X. And that, I think, Ivan, is a little different than what we may have seen in the past, where people expect investigative reporting to be a starting point rather than an inflection point. But to your point, I think that the quarantine lifestyle, again, people have a lot of focus and yet limited focus all at the same time. So I think it's a a topical question, I think, more than anything. And if it's a topic that is very, very top of mind for people, i.e., COVID-19, pandemic related, politically related, um, those things are going to capture the attention uh, of everyone immediately. So over to you, Matt. Obviously, you know, we've all had to face new challenges, right, in our daily lives. But we've also learned a lot, right, about what's what's essential, what's not essential. And we found new hacks in the way in which we do our, our, our work. And we, we, we tend to now be able to see some of the ones that are going to actually stick, right? And you're like, you know, you know, we were having the conversation about the convention, right? And we were talking about how, you know, the co- real people at the convention may be actually a, a, a long-term thing versus, you know, a lot of politicians. So are there, what trends and hacks do you see in your practice, Matt, um, that you think may stick down the line? Well, for starters, I discovered there's a skeleton key that locks the door to my home office to keep my kids out, which I didn't know until about a month ago. It would have been a, a useful hack at the beginning of quarantine as they came in and interrupted every Zoom call I, I was doing. <laughs> um, aside from that, though, I, I do think um, uh, the the kind of Zoom environment or the remote work environment is going to be not here to say stay for everyone, but here to stay for um, uh for more, many more people than than was true before this crisis, and I, I think it's going to be largely because companies are going to figure out that a lot of the travel that people that they they paid for wasn't really essential, and they can do it a, a lot more cheaply by video. There are downsides to it, but I think we've all found that you can make these meetings work a lot better than than we we would have uh, suspected, and I think that is going to have a downstream effect where you will see, you know, th- there will be. There'll be effects of that that we can't really understand, both in how we respond to and manage crises, but also in how decisions are made and things that are missed and voices that aren't heard because they're not in the room and they don't speak up. Um, and I think it'll be it'll be some time before we we can understand the implications of that. But I think it'll be a, a fairly large business shift. And you can't make a, a business shift like that without having pretty widespread implications. Over to you, Lillian. You know, the biggest change I think I see relates to my clients in highly regulated industries and the way that this pandemic took off and the way it gathered speed so quickly. uh, Many of them felt it difficult to gain control of crises related to the pandemic and crises that sort of were flowing from the pandemic. And I think that in the future, 
the sort of crisis cadence, I like to call it, um, and their willingness to respond and attack issues quickly, I think that'll stay intact because people have, have been burned and people have really saw the consequences of not responding quickly and how things can quickly tumble out of control. So I suspect that certain industries and certainly my clients will feel that they need to go ahead and handle swiftly sort of an assessment of the truth and the investigation of crisis level issues. I think that's a, let me just jump in if I can, Ivan. I think that's a really smart point. And I think you're probably right. And I hope you're right. I, I, I'm sure one of the things that you all tell clients that we do, which is, you know, not all crises are preventable, but 90% of them are predictable and you can predict them in advance and plan for them in advance. And it is amazing how many clients, you know, big, important companies in regulated industries and in high profile industries don't do the kind of crisis planning in advance that would make uh, crises when they strike be uh, much more manageable. You had a playbook on the shelf that you could use to, to navigate through a crisis. And I do think you will see more people focusing on it because of the problems they had in the earlier stages of COVID. If I, if I had one worry, though, it will be that, you know, companies will do which, what they often do, which is fight in the last war, where everyone will focus on, well, let's think about what would happen in a kind of disaster that all puts us into remote work when their crisis consultants are sitting in front of them telling you, well, well you have 10 other things that haven't happened yet. There's a 5% chance that any of them could happen. It's fairly low. But if they each, if any of them do, it's a COVID-style impact on you. So you need to do the same kind of planning. I hope that they'll take up that option. And just to bump off of that, the other thing is that uh, most of us and um, people running companies are no different, but most of us have short memories. And so on one hand, that can be a benefit to those of us who manage crises, because as Matt said, the world moves on and maybe there's just a blip of commercial impact for the client of the crisis. The other side of that, though, is that they also forget that they need to continue preparing for crisis and that they need to investigate issues and that they need to acknowledge whistleblowers and that sort of thing. And when they don't, uh, they simply tumble into the next event. So my hope is that people have a bit longer uh, of a memory than they do normally in my practice. Terrific. So this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you both. I have one last question, Matt. Try to sum it up. What's the bottom line? Managing a crisis in a crisis. I think the rules in COVID are the same as before, which is have a clear, simple message. Figure out the, the truth and the facts as quickly as you can. Communicate with all the information you have and don't wait too long to communicate. Even if you don't have all the facts, come out and say, say what you can. And lastly, never take an action tomorrow that you could have taken today. If you're going to have to, to eat some bad news, just do it and get it over with. Lillian, bottom line. Work as a team. There's no perfect idea that comes from one brain. And in crisis, everybody will view something differently. And when they collaborate, they'll come to a better result and one that's scalable and permanent for the company. So COVID is the time to stay apart physically, but it's a time to get together when it comes to thinking through problems. Thank you both. That's it. That's all. It's politics, Washington, D.C. It's the life we've chosen for ourselves. 